You can be opening your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. But I want to read something to you as you go there. And it's found in the book of Mark, verses 2 through 6 of chapter 16. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they, and he's talking about these women in verse 1, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome. And when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb, and they went, uh, were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is not here. Uh, he is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Let me say it. He is risen. Are you sure? Has he risen in your life is the question. Does the life of Christ make a difference in your life. He's still alive. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's still alive. He's not dead. He hasn't died in the ensuing 2,000 plus years in which he rose from the dead the first time. He's not going to die again. He died once for us all. And so today, I want you to take home with you that phrase, he is risen. I want you to be aware of the reality that Christ is alive today. I want you to know that he can make a difference in your life today. And uh, us preachers, we, we are good at making things a little bit complicated, a little bit confusing, I think. And uh, today, I just decided that on this day, above all days, that I just wanted to tell you about the gospel. That's the name of this sermon, the gospel. It's not complicated. It's not simple. Paul outlines it in 1 Corinthians 15, and I want to read that for us. So if you'll stand with me, we're going to read these 11 verses, and then I'm going to get into it. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Let's pray just a moment with me, please. Lord Jesus, in this moment, we pray that your spirit would move. In the church, in the non-believer, in those who are just questioning, God, that you would reveal yourself to them as you've revealed yourself to us. God, show us who you are through the pages of your word. May we hear your voice as we read and look at the word of God, the very word of God that shows us Christ. Lord, today, may we see you, Jesus, clearly, not only crucified, but buried and rose again and getting ready to come back. Lord, may we be aware of who you are and may we trust you with our very lives. Lord, we ask you to bind our enemy, 
keep him away from our minds, our hearts, our anxieties, our thoughts, that we might concentrate on Christ. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Well, as you're being seated, Paul kind of does this in three sections. First of all, he tells us this was predicted and what was going to happen. Then he tells us what happened. Then he tells us the results of what happened. That's a pretty good outline that, that helps you with a lot of stories. But I want you to catch a few things in the first couple of verses because the resurrection was planned. In the verses, we see twice, he says, according to the scriptures, but he does that even in a unique way. And I want you to see it. The first thing that I want you to see is that this gospel was preached. He says, I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. Now, the word there, he's got some wordplay going on. I tell you, we preachers are not confuse it or make it confusing when it's really very simple. And I think you can understand that way it's written. That's perfectly good. But as I was studying this word, I, I caught something I, I had not seen before. I was looking back in the original language, the Greek language. And it's a gospel that we need to hear and believe, right? So to hear it, somebody's got to say it. You with me? But let's first define what is that word gospel. The word gospel is just a a word that we call it gospel, but if we literally translate the word, it would say good news. This good news that I preach to you, it is the good news. And this won't mean anything to you, really, but I'm going to say it. It should mean something if I'm going to say it, right? But I just want you to hear this word. This is the Greek word for good news, euangelion. That, that's the word for good news. Now, you can learn that word if you want to, but good news is how you and I should say it. But what I found interesting was he said, this good news which I preached, and I looked up the word preached, and it's uangelizo. In other words, the good news that I good news to you is what Paul is saying. This is good news, and when I give it to you, he turns it into a verb and says, the good news that I good news you with. This is what we preach and we teach. When I was a kid, there was this era that we kind of went through and and, you know, church, we can look at the church's life throughout history and we see certain things in certain times. But it seemed like when I was a kid and maybe just before me that people thought of God as this ogre. That God was just waiting for you to step out of line so he could zap you really good. I mean, there were popular songs on the radio just before I was born like, God's going to get you for that. Well, guess what? God got Jesus for that. This is the good news. That Jesus, that God, because Jesus exists in eternity past as God, he exists in eternity future at God, and somewhere in the middle, he put on a human body and lived amongst us. And Adam, being the head of the race, had failed, and so the whole race failed when Adam failed. And sin came upon all men because the one who was the head of our race broke the image that God wanted to show. And in the midst of history, God himself put on that broken form of humankind. And he came and he did what Adam did not do. And that is he lived a sinless, perfect life. So he didn't deserve to die. But he didn't come to live for himself. He came to live for us. He said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He served us by, number one, walking that perfect path. And then secondly, by being nailed to a cross. This is the good news. And it has to be heard. And we need to proclaim it. We need to good news people. Because there's plenty of bad news. I don't know if y'all keep up with it. 
I, had to, I used to keep up with news all the time. I had to quit. I mean, it's just depressing. And not really, because I know God's bringing the world to an end, but you can't bring something to an end without being a little bit ugly. Right? Don't, don't expect Jesus to show up and everything be going fine. He's coming when it's going to be really bad. He's going to come rescue us. And by the way, that's how the world's going to fool people. Because they're going to say it's a problem and then they're going to come up with a solution that does not involve Jesus. But notice what he says. Not only was it preached and you heard it, but you received it. Which you received. I, I love that phrase. And again, it, it's fine in English. We received the gospel. But when I looked it up, I was a little bit surprised. I didn't know this was the word for received. And, and the second half of it doesn't really matter, but the first half of the word is a compound word is para, P-A-R-A, or para. You've heard that word, like parachute. If you fall out of an airplane, you better hope you have a parachute, right? There's paralegals, right? Para means to come alongside of. It's similar, but it's not the thing, but it comes alongside the thing, in a sense, and, and, and so this word in Greek is the second word means to throw away. So to come alongside to throw away, what he's saying is you don't throw it away, you throw it to yourself. You're, it's, it's with you. And it literally, the idea was you become identified by it. It identifies you. You've taken something outside of yourself and made it so part of you that that is now who you are. You have not thrown it away. You've thrown it into you so that it has become what you are. You've received it. In fact, it's your identity. And then we see there's a foundation. It says, in which you stand. That word stand just means to abide or continue. Don't quit in it. You continue in it. And then he says, by which you are saved that means to deliver us or to protect us you know if you do fall out of an airplane you better hope you have a parachute right you need something to save you I where Janice and I used to live there's a skydiving place right there at the airport and and this guy became a friend and became a church member and everything but first time I met him I met this couple they called they said we would like to get married I said, okay, tell me your story. And they were married and they had divorced and they realized that that was a mistake and they wanted to be remarried. But now they wanted it to be a little unusual. They wanted to get married in an airplane and then jump out of it. <laughs> to each his own, right? Well, they didn't even know how to do that. They, they're going to they're gonna jump attached to somebody. But I'd never seen anybody jump out of an airplane from an airplane before. I thought, I'll do that. <laughs> so I did. And I, I show up at the place, and the guy's name is Larry. And uh, Larry said, here, put this on. You put it on the front. And I put it on. He gave me a parachute and a pack, and I had to trust somebody packed it right. He said, listen, we're going to go up in a plane. Doesn't have a door in it, so it's open. So you could fall out, but you shouldn't, but you could. So if you do fall out, here's what we're doing today. You just try to orient yourself until you're facing the sun. Grab these handles, pull as hard as you can. Parachute will come out. It'll inflate, you hope. And you grab a right and you grab these handles. If you pull down on the right side, it'll turn you right. Pull out left, it'll turn you left. Look down, find the X on the ground. Try to hit it. If you miss it, we'll find you. <laughs> Got that. 
So I'm watching all these other guys get ready. And it's Navy SEALs and UDT guys. This is in Virginia Beach area in Suffolk near Virginia Beach. And they came out and jumped all the time. And then experienced para, you know, parachute guys, skydivers. That's the word I'm looking for. So this couple, they're strapped into some people. And I'm watching all of them get ready. And they all have on two packs. That's not a wrapper. They had on two packs. And I had one. So I walked up to Larry. I said, Larry, I got a question for you. He said, what is it? I said, I see all these other guys have on two packs. I only got one parachute here. What happens if I do fall out of the plane? I orient toward the sun. I pull the handles and it don't open. He said, walk toward the light. <laughs> Brother, you better make sure that you got that parachute, right? To receive it is to be identified with it. And he says, and hold fast to the word I preach to you. Grab hold of it and don't let go. And, he, and, and then it's a phrase there that can throw us off a little bit. Unless you believed in vain. It makes it sound like, well, you know, you believed but eh, it didn't quite work. That, that's not what he's saying here. That word to believe means to have faith in it. You saw the choir come up, and they're going to come back at the end of the service. But you saw them come up, and I didn't see anybody grab one of those chairs and shake it or put their hand in it and make sure it worked. They just went and sat down. That's the word belief, to put your weight on it, to trust it. And what he is saying here is, if you just heard this and went, yeah, I, I, I think that sounds good. I, I believe that. That's not belief. That's just going, yeah, I agree. Belief is when you put your trust in it. Belief is when you grab hold of it. And if you hold fast to the gospel, if you identify with the gospel, then you're saved and you're secure. But if you believed in vain, which is the way the phrasing comes into English, but it just means if you just sort of believed it, that don't count. You've got to say, I'm identified by it. A lot of people just want fire insurance. Somebody said, everybody wants to go to heaven. They just don't want to die. And to be called into Christ is to die to ourselves and live to him. To die to who we were and to let him become the life in us. In Galatians 2.20 says, For I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live now in this flesh, I live by faith, which is belief in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so that's the preamble to the gospel that Paul wants to share with us. And so then he just gives us the gospel. And it's extremely simple. Hear the gospel. Because the resurrection was not only planned, it was purposeful. In verse 3, Jesus died. I delivered to you as of first importance what I received. That Christ died for our sins according to the gospel. Jesus was perfect. He didn't die for his own sin. If he had been guilty of sin, he would have had to pay for his own sin and would not have been qualified to pay for mine or yours. When Jesus died, he was able to pay for the whole world's sin. And then in these books of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, it says this. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see, a saved person isn't a good person. A saved person is a forgiven person. Because he doesn't make us good. He makes us dead and gives us his righteousness to bring us back to life. 
And as we have his righteousness, we're clothed in his righteousness, we start getting molded into what he looks like. And actually the Bible word is transformed. He starts transforming us into the image of Christ so that once we go to see him, he completes that work and we look like Christ. Not physical appearance, but we have the same, the same holiness that Christ has. We can't do that on our own. Every other, listen, the resurrection is vitally important for this. In fact, I've said it, I've, I've quoted it, uh, I've, I've talked about it. But listen to what Romans 1 uh, says to us. In, in, in Romans 1 and verse 4 about this very subject. Sorry, I should have marked it. Romans 1, 4. He says this. And it was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, if the resurrection didn't happen, him dying for our sins doesn't count. Because he claimed to be God in the flesh. And so this text says, Jesus died according to the scriptures. And that's an action. But here's the result. Here's the proof of it. And he was buried. You see, Jesus had to literally die. Not just sort of die. He had to be dead, dead. And he was. If he didn't die, and listen, this time of year, you can find all kind of weird people saying weird things. Weird stories coming out of people about Jesus. Well, what about this? What about that? What about this? What about that? All the things that they say are impossible. I'll just leave it at that. I don't have time to go into all. But the Bible says he died, and here's the proof they buried him. Do you know where, why we have the term the graveyard shift? Starts at midnight. It's because they used to bury people that were passed out and didn't actually die. So they would keep a hole drilled through the ground down into where they buried him with a rope. In case the dude woke up, he could ring a bell. It was attached to a bell. And the graveyard shift was to sit there in case the bell rang. Now I think that if you were there and the bell rang, it was scary so bad you wouldn't tell anybody. You'd just run. But I, I don't know. But it was there to dig somebody up in case they woke up in the coffin. That's where we get the term graveyard shift. They didn't have that in Jesus' day. They put him in a cave, sealed it with a rock, put a Roman seal on it so that nobody could get in there. He was dead and buried. But notice the next thing. And then he rose from the dead. According to the scriptures, he died for our sins, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day. And what's the proof? We'll come to that in a minute. But he was raised according to the scriptures. The Old Testament preaches us, tells us all this. Paul didn't give a specific reference to it so that you could just see. Because Jesus is on every page of the Old Testament. That he was going to die. He was going to rise again. The very first reference is Genesis chapter 3. So from the very beginning, God was letting us know this was going to happen. And he was raised according to the scripture. And so what the Jews asked Rome to do, and Rome did it, they put a guard, 16 people, out there. They'd be equivalent to our Delta Force, or SEAL 6. And they, they rotated in four-man shifts. Every 15 minutes they would shift because if they fell asleep and who they were guarding escaped, all 16 men would be put to death for failing in their mission. And an angel showed up, knocked them all out. <laughs> you see, Jesus, when he came back from the dead, he didn't walk out. He just left through the rocks. He was gone. Gone. 
So why did the stone roll away? Well, the angels pushed it out of the way so you could get in there and see he wasn't in there anymore. People say, oh, well, you know, he just passed out and he revived and he walked out. Well, or the disciples stole his body. Oh, did they unclothe him and then rewrap it as if he were in it? And because the, in the book of John, it says, and they saw the grave clothes lying where he was as if they had just sunk down is what it says. And the head wrap right there and the clothes right there. Did they unwrap him and then lay him up there and rewrap him so it would look good? Did they get through 16 of Delta Force to get in there? To throw a big old rock that had a Roman seal on it out of the way? No. The dude was dead and he rose again. That's what happened. It's an incontroversial, incontrovertible truth. And here's the proof. A lot of people saw him. Not just one or two. A lot of people. Look what it says. So, he rose from the dead according to the scripture, and he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. By the way, modern psychologists tell us that it is impossible for 500 people to have a common delusion. There's no way 500 people all believe the same thing unless it actually happened. And he says, most of them are still alive because this is like, in, this is the years in the 50s or 60s when Paul writes this or maybe even later. He says, most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. That's not the apostle James. That's his brother. Because remember, the Bible says brothers thought he was crazy. They thought he was a nut case because he was claiming to be God. They go, you're not God, you're just our big brother. So Jesus says, hey, James, I told you. <laughs> And James becomes the pastor of the first church, the church in Jerusalem. And then to all the apostles. And then Paul makes a very interesting statement. And we come to the resurrection was performed. You see, the gospel came to people who could not come to it. Look what it says. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. I get what he's saying. He wasn't with the apostles when they were with Jesus. But Paul was almost a contemporary with them. He could have seen Jesus. He could have been there. His teacher was the biggest teacher in Judaism. It's kind of, we don't know if Paul ever heard about Jesus before all of this. But Paul, that phrase, untimely born, literally means grotesquely born. It's as, he's saying... I was so messed up. And then Jesus appeared to me. I was really messed up. And yet Jesus appeared to me. We know where that happened on the road to Emmaus. Because he had agreed to kill Stephen. The very first uh, uh, martyr of the church. A deacon. And as he was being stoned. He, 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 Stephen preached the gospel through the Old Testament. To a bunch of Jewish scholars. And there's the smartest one among them watching Paul. Who Saul became Paul. And he knew it was true. I'm convinced that when Saul heard Stephen. He knew what he was saying was true. But he was so entrenched in his customs and his ideas. That he couldn't let go. And it created anger in him. And he started said, I know what I'll do. I'll kill everybody that says they believe this. And that became his goal in life. And knows what he says. 
For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called up an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. You see, not only does the gospel come to people who can't get to it, it comes to people and it changes them. It comes by grace. Listen to what he says. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Now, you could read that two different ways, putting the emphasis on different syllables. You could say, Paul said, I'm the least of the apostles, but by God's grace, I am what I am. I'm the, I'm the big dog. I don't think that's what he said. I think he said, I killed Christians, and by the grace of God, I am what I am now. I think he had humility. I think he knew, and very obviously, he knew that apart from the grace of God, he would still be lost in his sins. And so, it came to him by grace And it kept him by grace. He says that grace toward me was not in vain. But on the contrary, I worked harder than anybody. You see, it created a thankfulness in him. And when you know you're lost. And now you know Christ has saved you. And that Christ is with you. And Christ's spirit indwells you. The power that raised Jesus from the dead. Romans 8, 11. In the men's song, we sang that this power, the spirit, raised Christ from the grave. And Romans 8, 11 says the power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you when you become a believer the holy spirit lives in you it's the holy spirit that entered that tomb jesus had to totally trust his father to keep his word jesus said to god the father said i won't leave you in that tomb long enough for your skin to start to rot i'll get you up before then and the holy spirit came into that tomb and raised jesus from the dead that's in romans 8 11 the power that raised jesus from the dead lives in you now i want you to think about that if you're a believer if you're lost I'm I'm talking to believers for a minute, but you can listen in because you might want to get in on this. God himself lives in your body. Paul said, we have this eternal weight of glory in a clay pot. Now you put the power that created the universe in a clay pot, it's going to crack that pot, isn't it? So Christians just a bunch of crack pots. Because if that pot don't crack, you can't see the light that's inside it. You acknowledge you're broken. You acknowledge you need Christ. And Christ comes into us. And the light of Christ begins to shine out from our pain and our brokenness. And all the... Paul could say, I used to kill Christians. I persecuted the church. But now I preach Jesus. And he concludes this by saying, So, whether it was them or I, this is the same message. We're preaching it to you. That Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again. And you can put, believe it. You can put your weight on that. And you can be thankful for it when it comes to you. Now this is a part in the sermon where I usually try to help you with some application. I'm going to invite the choir to come back right now. We're going to sing a song in just a minute. While we're singing that song, I'm going to ask you to respond uh, as, as God leads you to anything that you've heard today. But let me give you three things that you might help you or might, you might uh, could work on. And the first one is this. Believe in the Christ of the resurrection. There are plenty of people out there trying to describe Christ and they never look at the word. Look at the scriptures to see who Christ is and what he did. This is the only source. Every, we don't take any other book to be equal to the Bible. We don't go by a, a book of Baptist doctrine. We don't go by a Quran. We don't go uh, 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 by a, a, um, a, another set of a system of belief. We don't go by the Book of Mormon. We don't, we don't have some other thing. We don't have Buddhism. First thing written down about Buddhism was 700 years after he died. Scripture was written by eyewitnesses in the presence of eyewitnesses. 
which 40 authors, 1,200 years plus, and yet not one word of this disagrees with another. You say, that's not true. Oh, yeah, it is. Because they've been looking for it for thousands of years for it to disagree, and they can't find any place where it does. The Bible is a trustworthy book, and it tells us about Christ. Believe in the Christ of the resurrection, the risen Christ, the one who is alive to save your soul. Secondly, act in the power of the resurrection. If God himself lives in you, man... God gets through anything. He can do anything, right? And so if you're a believer, man, you need to trust that. If you're, if you're not a believer, you ought to believe him. You ought to trust him. If you are trusting him, you ought to live like it. And so that's kind of going into the third point here. Show the evidence of that changed life. If God has saved you, you shouldn't be like you were. You should be something new. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul was a murderer. Now he's an apostle. Only God can do that. Only God. So here's what's going to happen. We're going to start singing in just a minute. And I'm going to come and stand right there. Right in front of where I am. And if you're sitting there and you say, I'm a believer, but man, I have been taking this for granted. I've not been living my life for God like I should. And I want to. Got a lot of room down here. You come, kneel, pray, stand, pray. You can do whatever you want. You just come pray. You're already a believer. You don't have to come tell me unless you just want to. That's fine. But listen, if you're in here today and you don't know that you have a relationship with the risen Christ, he is alive today, and you don't know you have that relationship, we want to help you get that relationship. It's not something you say. It is just a a heart turning to him and asking him in. But we want to help you in that. We want to help you to pray, help you to seek Christ. And, And we've got other pastors and other people here that know how to explain that to you and help you with it so I'm going to be standing right here but there'll be other pastors here and and things so would you just come down grab one of us talk to us and and we'll make sure we can help you out Christians if you stay where you are please pray for others because we all need to know this Christ we need to know him better be totally sold out to him so I'm going to offer a quick prayer I'm going to go down here to the front we're all going to stand up y'all stand with me I'm going to pray And then I'm going to come stand down there. And then as they're singing, you come. Lord Jesus, may you be glorified today. And Lord, may those who need you come to know you today. And those who do know you, may they want to know you better. And may we seek you with our whole heart. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Would you come while we start to sing? You just come right away. You don't have to wait.